Identity Talk. I'm your host, Jana Lopez. Thank you for sharing your time with me. My mission is to create deeper conversations with dynamic people from all walks of life about uncovering meaning about who we are and how we come to see ourselves. Words and identity are my life. I'm the author of the acclaimed book, Me, My Selfie, and I. I teach online writing workshops called Write About Now and offer one-on-one transformative coaching sessions that break you through to deeper clarity and connection with yourself through a guided process I call See-Through Words. When it comes to navigating identity funky junk, it's time for straight talk. Get ready for real stories, real connection, and real hope mixed with humor and a whole lot of love. You're now part of Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. I'm super excited to have with me one of the most knowledgeable, dedicated community agitators I know. M. Kalani Souza is the founding director of the Olahana Foundation, whose mission is to help communities build resilience and adapt to climate change by strengthening relationships between generations, between cultures, and with the natural environment. But he also is one of the most prolific storytellers I know about how intergenerational trauma, racism, and being omitted from the conversation as a Native Hawaiian and somebody who has spent his life dedicated to helping underserved populations. I wanted to have a conversation with him about his thoughts about what's happening in the environment, in our culture, in our world, in our lives, and just get some philosophical tactical science environmental based i mean he's covered all he covers all the ground so i thought he of all people i wanted to hear his insights about what's happening so we're sitting here together aloha my friend hey aloha my sister i <laughs> am so glad to see you i wish i could hug you and kiss you i know here, here's the whole new reality in this post covid world right suddenly Not only do we treat everything as a resource, something we can use, rather than a relationship, we start doing legal mandates about you only getting so close, you know, six feet standing off. You know, as somebody who's interested in the theology of human being, right, in the the thought processes that make life bearable, I look at the Catholic Church, just one of the major religions, and I think principle to their success is the holy communion, the sharing of the experience. And really the communion can be found in a lot of religion, a lot of philosophical thought. It's the thing that says, I am not alone, right? At the end of this journey, I shall die and others will die with me and we shall all transcend. It's a way of assuring the poor little afraid mammal running around inside us that somehow something survives, right? That somehow we are sharing an experience. Well, what does that mean to the human race when we can no longer commute, when I can no longer touch you or hug you or feel connected, thankfully? And I bless the Silicon Valley, all great, all seeing mother (laughs) who 
created the virtual capacity for us to be together. I mean, I love seeing you. I mean, that's the next best thing to you, me running around the trails of place on the big island. So I know. I mean, I, I do appreciate it, but I often thought of you during this whole change of technology because you are such a relational person and you are such a person person, like a heart centered person. And I remember even because I've known you for so long that even when Facebook came online and social media started to become a thing, I often thought about the dichotomy of you interacting in that world because on one hand, you know, you just didn't, it was so the antithesis of you. But on the other hand, it was like you knew you had to embrace it somehow. So tell me about what that relationship was like embracing a new way of forming relationships. Right. And boy, are we there, right? Is the world there? Right, we, we're all rushing headlong into the space of relationships mattering, yet we bifurcate, right? You know how I feel about it. You remember how I reacted to cell phones? I was like, what are you talking about, right? We get, you know, it's like, oh for God's sake, stop texting me, right? It's like, and I, you know, I still call it paging, by the way. Right. You know, I don't even call it an email, I go page. A beeper. Right. You're so 80s. Uncle. I know. You know, and I'm like, well, whatever. I'm actually so 60s. I just, I ain't dead yet. You know what I mean? I've been around for so long. I don't even know what's going on. So, uh, yeah, we had to. We had to. And as you know, trained in the ways of assisting community mm-hmm. means that as leadership, we're servant leader. Part mm-hmm. of the service is in Hawaiian, we say kukulu komohana. Someone like me is always searching the horizon. What is the next chain? What is the next gift or the next threat Mm -hmm. faced by our community? Did I see it coming far across the plain, right? Far over the ocean, enough time for us to react, right? Enough time to create a conversation around how this will impact us once it reaches our shore. Well, these days, when the jet is traveling at 396 miles per hour, that, that some bitch comes up on the shore way faster. That's what I wondered. I was going to ask you if you felt like you had enough time because I felt your embracing and resistance, much like the dichotomy of everything in life. I mean, I saw how you selectively engaged and sometimes it sucked you down, but you would spend so much time alone in silence and quiet without distraction that this became something thing I think that even you couldn't (laughs) (laughs) even you couldn't (laughs) no you got that right right and so how does one accept responsibility for the state of one's own life if one plays the martyr and the hermit you know I mean and pulls back hey listen I've gotten so wrapped up in my newest pet peeve and that is the old I'm now watching this crowd that's all about self-care. Self-care, damn, that's just a millennial way of saying selfish. You know what I mean? That's just a way of saying, oh, you know what? I want to help you, but I can't help you until I help myself. No, fuck you. You could actually help me without helping yourself. Wow. You might even think that helping me is helping yourself. You know, heaven forbid. That service to another might be seen as a burden. Do you think that social media and 
communication this way and internet and community just bypassing the whole interrelational thing has made us more selfish or has it not impacted it's been other reasons i would say clearly has pushed those with the selfish streak towards more selfish and push those with a more altruistic streak to serving a larger audience so my grandfather would say to me the moon is always half in shadow if you think it's phasing that's because of your perspective mm -hmm. Change your position, move someplace else and take a look again, right? The moon is actually half in shadow, always half in shadow, mm -hmm. regardless of your perspective, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So make sure you understand the shadow of something, the damage, the hurt your actions will cause before you engage. Now, if you can live with the pain, with the suffering, with the sin, as well as the benefit, the joy, the relief of your action, then take the step. But make sure you're looking 180 degrees across that bowl and you see what's there, right? Make sure you understand the shadow before you move. All that being said, which implies that every one of us swinging dicks got a shadow. And that doesn't leave you girls out either. <laughs> every one of us is dragging a shadow around like Peter Pan, right? But that means every one of us is standing in the light, right? It's like, so all of us are half in light, right? Right. So here we are, right? It's never that dismal. Right. You see how bad things look in the United States? how really strained the moment seems, I'm arguing it's exactly the way it's been for the last century, right? It hasn't changed that much. Are you talking the about moon. the current climate of what's happening in the world at this exactly. moment? Exactly. The okay. moon always half in shadow. Right. What we all do in reaction to this revealing to this eclipse, as it were, right? That, that suddenly outlines the relationship between the moon, the sun, and those of us here on earth, right? right? Who's controlling the power, right? It's like, when we see that in this moment of the solar eclipse and the halo is so well-defined, what are we going to do about it, right? And just like in ancient lore, boy, these eclipses, they really look like a portent of bad things, of unrest, of that social change and the great divide. But you know what? All things change, right? My grandfather said, it keeps changing, boy. It's so monotonous the way it keeps changing. Now, if it stayed the same, that would be different, but it doesn't. It just keeps changing. It's, it's just irritating how much the situation remains the same. It just keeps changing just keeps changing, right? And so you can never feel like you're on solid ground. But hey, that's the moon, half in shadow, spinning. We think it doesn't spin because we're tidal locked in exactly the right proportion where the moon seems like it's not moving, but in fact, it's moving. When you look at the earth from the moon, do you think the earth is spinning and then spinning around the moon? Right? Whose perspective? Who's looking? Who is asking the question about the shadow? And right now, 
it looks like community is asking very directly about the shadow that the police force and the authoritarian figures cast as they walk down our city streets. This ain't the old West, right? We're not looking for that sheriff with the big old gun casting the big shadow down Main Street. Are you feeling it? I mean, do you feel when you see the people taking to the streets in direct response? And I would say a majority primarily have been peaceful. I am so convinced that they're peaceful. Mm -hmm. My observations seem to indicate that there are external forces agitating. Mm -hmm. One might even argue that the uh, law and order slice of society is in fact creating the problem so as to justify their existence. Right. You know what? We've watched the militarization of the police over the last 20 years. I think it is a fairly responsible position to say, let's review the budget. Let's defund these guys. You know, I got people, oh, you can't do that. Oh, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, in 2018, the New York Police Department, especially the union reps, got so upset with the city administrators disciplining the cops that they said, that's it. We're going to leave the city to the murderers. They literally said that in a press release. So 2019, we see this great reduction in the arrest and prosecution of violent crime, in the arrest of assault and criminal property victims or perpetrators. I think like 17% less arrested. Is that in New York, you said? Yes, in New York City itself. 32% less ticket given out. So less municipal funds, right. less money into the, nobody noticed was not a big news story. Did you see it on AM America? <laughs> no, no. So it turns out, was there more crime, less crime, more, you know what? Nobody noticed. Everybody went along 2019 business as usual. Wait, 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 wait. Was there less crime or just less police activity? Right, which was it, right? It's like, which was it? What was the citizens yelling about? Oh my God, there's more crime. No, that story didn't happen once in 2019. And yet the police, by their own admission, did less, tried to police less, tried to be out there because they were going to get even with the city administrators. I'm sorry, all he did was generate less income for the police. Would you say that you were surprised that what's happening now took as long as it did? Because I've heard you talk before, oh, and yes. I've, I've heard you talk about this for years. Yes, yes, and I'm telling you, and I really am so glad to have this opportunity. And I'm trying to keep my perspective global, you know, And but in keeping with that, like I said, for those of you who don't know me, and sister does, uh, five years ago, roughly, I got into a really bad way. We all thought it was a rare disease. It turns out it was poisoning by one of the big oil companies. But, you know, hey, life, right? So anyway, I was uh, paralyzed and in bed and unable to move. And, you know, they were having me prepare my will. And like you said, I've been talking about this hooli this awakening, the great turnover my whole life. You know that. I've been like getting ready. We got to get ready for this. For me to not 
be dead yet. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm and I swear it was Donald Trump being elected president that just got me all fired up. There's no way I'm gonna die with this asshole in the White House, right? I mean, I've been watching him my whole life. This guy's been laundering money for the Russians for the last 25 years, cooking the books. I can't believe we're not prosecuting him. He's married to what? A Ukrainian porn queen? She's now the first lady of the country. He completely dismisses his American mistress that he cheated on his Russian wife with, or Hungarian. You know, anyway, his loyalties to Slavia, while Mitch McConnell's wife is Chinese. Oh, she's from Texas. Ah, yeah, right. Chinese are from China. That's why they call it Chinatown in every city. <laughs> they don't call it, you know, the Chinese became American town. You know, and so, you know, I'm just saying it the way it is, as we know here in Hawaii, or as my mom would say, when it comes to race relations, because we were there, I sat on a windowsill, 1963, and listened to John F. Kennedy address the mayor's conference in Honolulu at the Hilton Hawaiian Villages Longhouse Showroom and Banquet Hall, where addressing the mayors of the United States, he said, we were going to have to deal with America's race relations and the civil rights problem coming to this country. And then those asshole Nazis shot him in the head. So let's get straight what happened, right? The white racists, the military industrial complex, they took out Kennedy, right? And they're still all, Johnson. So they're still all trying to pretend like they didn't have nothing to do with it. But I'm from Hawaii. And as my mom said, when it comes to race relations, you shouldn't say something stink about anybody, something bad about anybody. You should say it about everybody, everybody. They're all up in this. There ain't one human got clean hands in this. There's not one of us who hasn't been prejudiced against another human, or for that matter, against another form of life. And here's what I'm gonna demonstrate. As somebody who's interested in mediation, in peacemaking, in peacekeeping, perceptions of beauty, will be the last domain of bigotry. And how will you control that? Say that one more time. Personal perspectives and perceptions of beauty mm -hmm. of what is desirable mm -hmm. will be the last vestige of bigotry. Mm. Of, right. Interesting. How are you going to tell Carlos that the fat 350 pound woman he's mounting tonight is not the perfect girl. He's only dated 350 pound women because that's all he's ever liked. When he went out to the junior prom with that one skinny girl from the 11th grade, he didn't like it at all, right? How are you gonna sit there and tell Carlos, no, 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 Jennifer Aniston is the perfect girl. When for him, the perfect girl 350 or better with the roles and the, are you following me? I wanted to say it in a visceral way. Some people like vanilla. 
Some people like chocolate. Some people like vanilla and chocolate at the same time, and that would be me, right? Some people only like tutti frutti. Some people only like <laughs> sherbet. Some people only eat non-dairy ice cream made with coconut milk. Oh, for God's sake, right? It's like, and why is that? That's because each of us were given the same grace that God gave the plants. There are no two leaves that have ever been the same for four billion years. And when I say four billion, it's because I'm going all the way back to the microbial, you know, essence of the plant world that takes a good billion years to, you know, create itself in the chemical cocktail that happened on our planet. When the water came to our planet, into this solar system 4.7 billion years ago. So the water comes to the planet one drop at a time and the water is older than the sun. So that means it came from outside of our solar system, from another star system. Now, how can humans know this and still pretend that there's a talking snake somewhere that really pissed off some guy because he told the girl about an apple with the, what? What? Well, let me ask you this. So since you're talking about that, I believe from what I understand of you, it's all connected. So like what's happening in the environment, what's going on culturally, what's going on? economically like i don't see i mean you know you feel you tell me there's no separation it's all part of the same thing systems are interrelated just as we exist Mm -hmm. within this water bubble right so i was speaking of the water to specifically say we need to create new story of our potential right we argue from these archaic position, invisible men in the sky, underground furnaces with talking snakes, with the, you know, we just, we create this to hold power, religio, to bind someone, religion, to our thoughts, to control them. When in fact, science has led us towards the great spiritual awakening. You know, and I'm not talking about Dawkins or atheists screaming. Hey, people are always going to be fringe. People always, just like we got fringe fundamental Christians in our country. But the fact is, water holds memory and has intelligence. And Veda Austin, the water researcher from New Zealand, Taiwari, right? She is recently publishing her work, which takes Masaru and Moto's 12 slides of crystallized water to a 10,000 photographs of water in real time, frozen within 30 seconds of an emotional stimulus and watch the water respond. Wait a minute. If we investigate this as we are with our science communities, that would mean the water is consciously reacting in real time. What? Then the water has consciousness? What? Isn't it just energy, transference of energy? Hey, when I look at you, I'm looking at a bag that's got a shirtload of water inside it. That's the biggest compliment I've ever gotten. Thank Thank you. you. Is that sexy? It is sexy, a little. Okay, because I don't know, I mean, water. (laughs) 70% of 
<laughs> I, I gotta tell you, and I mean this in the best possible way. I'd spend hours trying to get the water out of you. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I just what as long as it long as it's sexy, like I'm 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 glad to be that bag of water. I, I'm totally with you myself. I'm all about attuning to the water, right? So if all of life within this water bubble is predominantly water, if you're made up of 11 and a half mineral salt pounds and you know maybe six grams of who what was that that left when she died and then water right so if i throw you in a crematorium i end up with about 11 pounds of dust and salt and ash at the end of it and i evaporate all the water from you stick it back in the atmosphere this is what i got and weirdly a lot of old indigenous prayer ceremonies are done with salt and water and nothing else, right? Isn't that for purification and for connection and? The salt water, the ocean. Mm -hmm. You know, once I'm 12 years old, I'm sitting in St. Gabriel's Catholic Church, staring up there at that really, you know, you know me, I've everything from Buddhist to to Jewish religion to, you know, I I go looking everywhere. I even hung out with the LDS guys for like three years. So, you know, I I go do anything Baha'i, you know, because I like all the flavors, right? But sitting there in the Catholic church, I'm telling my grandfather, wow, this is weird. This is like God's house. What a weird place. He said, no, no, boy, God doesn't live here. He says, after church, I'll take you to God's house. I'm thinking, yeah, right. He must live in the next village. Right? So we uh, started heading down the beach. And I'm thinking, wow, God lives far away, right? And about I think, a mile and a half down the beach, my grandpa sits down on these rocks and he's not doing anything. He's just sitting there staring at the shore, <laughs> right? So I sit down with him. I'm like, what's up? You know, and uh, he says, right there. See right there? He says, right where the water is reaching the shoreline, right where the water and the sand come together. He says, you see how the air and the water and the sand all meet on that little scene. He said, look how it's moving. It's never still. It's always moving. Some grain of sand, some drop of water, a molecule of air changing. He says, right on that scene, that's where God lives. It's always changing. It's never the same. Girl, I remember that morning clear like the best movie i ever seen you know what i mean like and where did you grow up because people don't know where you grew up Uh, on the backside of maui on the way out to hana you know and when you grow up there you think the whole world looks like that right you don't know (laughs) that the whole world doesn't look like that i mean i remember I think Los Angeles is beautiful. So what is it that you would say right now, seeing what you anticipated and have prepared for? And I know you've spent years in conversations with climatologists, environmentalists, uh, community activists, and you've talked so much about resilience, building resilience, building community, relational uh, solutions to sustainability. So tell me a little bit about what that looks like given the context of where we are now. I appreciate this and I, and I apologize to everyone listening because we got to take it in big slices. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, first of all, the human race doesn't begin 7,000 years ago, gathering in little villages. Oh my God, we're uncovering cities that are 12,000 years old. Mm-hmm. Right? We can find cities under the ocean some 400 feet down. The human race has been struggling for a very long time. Mm-hmm. We are incredible sea monkeys. Mm-hmm. Right? We're the only primates that went down to the water. You know how we walk upright? If you watch any apes or chimpanzees walk in the water, anytime there's a river to cross, they got to stand up and go like this. And they got to carry their babies with them so the babies don't drown. Mm-hmm. Want to know how we started standing upright? We were walking through the grass plains looking for lions. That's more Western European crap that they keep trying to force feed us because England, the Netherlands, Switzerland, they always got to be at the top of the game because they lend out the gold that they stole from the Chinese who stole it from the Italians who stole it from the the Central and South Americans. Wow. Welcome to the human race, right? In big old slices. Mm -hmm. Now, the Europeans, what they did different from the rest of the humans is they sat around for centuries living in tiny little hovels and caves and cottages with their animals, eating, sleeping, drinking, shedding, pissing, breeding with their animals. And they created these cross diseases that led to extinction moments that killed off 90% of the European stock. And the 10% that survived and developed antibodies to these horrific diseases went around the world with the Pope's blessing and the doctrine of discovery and killed all the rest of us. So the rest of us had to start sleeping with Europeans and developing antibodies so that we could all be here. Wow, sounds like COVID-19, right? All over again. So this is nothing new to the human experience. This is just the way it rolls. Let me tell you what else is not new. We are on the sixth great extinction moment of the planet. Humans are causing the extinction of thousands of species by our stress, by our management, by our impacts, by our belly. You know, so what are we going to do? If I was watching from 1992 to 1994, when the Buckminster Fuller and several other organizations, Rocky Mountain Institute, the rest, informed the global elite that, wow, under present conditions, under present standards of living, the planet can support about four, maybe 2.1 billion people for regenerative, recyclable existence. 2.1, maybe 2.2 billion for our longevity. And that's 92, 94, right? Right. Down in Brazil, Rio, right? And so when asked how many people are there in the world, the response is, I think 4.5 billion. Right. Right after that, 1995 (laughs) to 2000, you see the creation of pharmaceuticals that are questionable, food sources that are less healthy. You see them begin to push up this whole thing in an increase in health factors, wow, diseases start jumping up. Weird diseases that we haven't seen before. And 
you know, if somebody was watching and they were doing the math, they would say, wow, 7 billion people in the world, huh? And what's like two or 3% of that? What about 300 million? Wow, so 300 million uber rich, drop dead rich, buy anything they goddamn want, people running around 7.5 billion on the planet. Hey, they only need about 2 billion people if they're each gonna have slaves. That would give them three slaves apiece. The one that was serving them when they were born, the one that served them in the middle of life, and the one that's coming towards the end of their life. So you know what? The math works out. Next thing they're going to want to do is get rid of about four or five billion people on the planet. I don't know. What do you see happening? What time is it? I'll tell you what time it is. I can tell you right now. You see that clock right back there? It says it's 420. It's not hammer time. <laughs> that clock is always 420. It's always hammer time. It's always hammer time. And so as we move forward with the country, sorry, I'm actually podcasting with this. That's got Yolani, by the way, next door, who bought me lunch. I want to demonstrate community. The woman from next door just cooked lunch and brought it over for me. Look like roasted chicken and some mashed potatoes with gravy. Human beings have always been compassionate, caring, communicative, collaborative animals. We're smart monkeys. We come from the bonobos who sit around grooming each other and having a lot of sex. It's like we like to be with each other. We like to help. Human beings work better in the collective we. It's the power of we over me. How do we cultivate more of that right now? Take that and look at the American experience. Rugged individualism. Self-achievement. Capitalism. Only one of you in the class gets a gold star. The rest of you suck until a teacher decides to reward you. Right. They train us to be predators right. on each other. Uniquely American. More guns, more violence, more drugs. Hey, you know, they don't have other countries where people get into cars where we're trying to reduce the carbon and drive around in circles for hours, burning up gasoline and putting carbon in the air. Now, I get it. The French drive over the countryside. Well, at least they use their roadways and it's kind of a race. The Americans create a round track that they just run around in a circle, spending the oil, creating the pollutants. And they call that an all American pastime, all American pastime. <laughs> You know what about the American? The Americans are now trying to shove this up everybody's throat as it's a Black Lives Matter. Of course, Black Lives Matter. Has it been ignored by America? Oh, yeah. But that's uniquely America's problem. In 1843, in Hawaii, they outlawed slavery. Wow. It was a long time before 1857 and those guys acting all crazy in Congress in 1860 and firing on Fort Sumner. When American Southern agricultural businessmen come to Hawaii with their slaves, we freed their slaves and we told their slaves, you can stay here forever, which they did, right? And those Americans, hey, that's our property. You can't do that. Hey, F you. 
Nobody gets to own another human being. Not in Hawaii. Years later, in 1893, the Americans come and illegally seize the government and imprison the queen and threaten the whole country. Because the Americans can't stand the idea that there's somewhere in the world where all human beings are respect, where all are treated with decency. I will not denigrate myself down into this American perspective. I will hold on to the idea that humans are collaborative, caring, responsive. I have three rules that I use to build community and to live my life. And they come in the form of questions because my grandfather said, it's better to ask a good question than to pretend you got the answer. The first question is, are the children fed? If you're not feeding the children, you're not feeding the future. You're doing nothing. If by your work, your occupation, by your actions, somewhere down the line, a child is not fed, you're wasting your damn time, right? You need to be assuring the non-extinction of the species, particularly in this extinction event moment, which has happened to humans before. Learn your science, people. Stop cutting out of school or cut out of school, do the good drugs, go to the beach and take your science book with you. The fact is, this is not the first time humans are bottlenecked into a survivable situation, but it could be the last time it could be the last time. So we all need to take care of the children and to feed those kids. We gotta be brave. We gotta be resourceful. We gotta have skill. We gotta have infrastructure. Any, how many of you have fed a kid? Come on, raise your hand on the podcast. Come on, <laughs> I can see it, right? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if you don't pay attention, Somebody's got a spoon in their ear and you got to clean up the whole mess. Feeding children is not an easy proposition. It requires attention, resource, commitment, and children eat way more than just food. They consume so much more. I know. Care and feeding of children requires a lot. There's an old saying, takes a child to raise the village. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can think about all the ways I fucked up my almost 16-year-old son, but you know what? I got you, baby. We're doing our best. <laughs> like every other mother who's ever come down to fight, right? You're certain you've screwed him up. Now, the second rule, are the old people comfortable? That means as capacity is diminishing, you're planning. You're planning to accommodate. So it takes trajectory, planning capacity building and it bespeaks that you have a society that values wisdom over knowledge or right? production it's about, right it's not knowledge or data sets or production capacity it's what you do with it right like what how are you incorporating these efforts into your existing strategy right the last one probably the most important right are the women unafraid you know, when I look at the policymakers, I tell them, all I got to do is walk into a room and look into the first woman's eyes and I know what's happening right in the room. I can either see the fear or I can see the determination. You know what I mean? It tells me what the climate is here. 
whether this culture is intact enough to move forward. Women in culture, in society, tend to tend to the first two questions. Right. If they're given the resources and the capacity to do it. Right. So when the women are afraid, what are the men doing? Right. That's the way my grandfather put it. Now, he said, boy, you may not be able to do a lot about the first three, but you sure can do something about the last one. <laughs> so it's like, got it. Wow. So I teach, not threaten, right? Not coerce, because that would lead nowhere. We teach them to value the place of the goddess in society, the place of motherhood in society, which brings them back to valuing the earth mother. So we remind them of our families, the ones we're born to. Hey, you don't get much choice. Usually the people you're born to, that family, they're there to teach you something. It's usually painful and very deep, right? But that's why we love them. And we got to learn to forgive them. They're teaching us a very core thing about ourselves. Then we have the family we choose. You know, like you and me. Right? Right. We choose each other. We're family. Because that's the way it is. You know what I, mean? I think it was that way with me and you from the first time I met you. Right. Right. No question. No different, you know. So- no question. And, you know, I love how you... It's just so seamless and all tied together. And I think for the places that you teach, I wonder when you were saying, I go and I teach, where is it that you have a chance to go and speak and teach and share stories these days? Strangely, uh, I'm the National Community Outreach Coordinator for the National Disaster Preparedness Training Center, one of the seven FEMA consortiums around the country. So even though I don't consider myself an American, I work for Homeland Security and FEMA, (laughs) training communities and people to recover or build regeneration and resilience in the face of these disasters and stressors. Now, the fact that human beings encounter stress in their lives or in their capacity to provide for the people they love, that's a given. That's been going on for the last half a million years, right? So what we need to do is develop the coping mechanism. Here's my favorite coping mechanism for the day. Yosef Islam, moon shadow. <laughs> the moon is always half in shadow, right? And if I ever lose my legs, I won't moan and I won't beg. I won't have to walk no more, right? And if I ever lose my hands, all my plow, all my land, I won't have to work no more, right? There's always a light. There's always the light, just like there's always the shadow. There's always a reason to celebrate the disaster that hits you. There's always a way to be a responder and not a victim, right? There's always a way to observe and be grateful for life, regardless of the challenges shoved across the table, forced down your throat. (laughs) I'm not gonna try it, you try it. I'm not gonna try it, hey, that's my money. 
He'll try it. He'll try anything. <laughs> exactly. You know, and being open to this idea that we're blessed. I mean, you know me. I'm laying there dying. The doctor goes, you're dying. 5% chance of survival. Right. Cedars Sinai, right? Los Angeles. I go, 5%? Shit, I'm going home to Hawaii then. He goes, Hawaii? Well, damn, if you go back there, there's only 2% chance of survival. So what is it that's making you feel connected to yourself right now? Even though everything changes in the world and moves and you talked about this and felt this and have shared about this for years, uh, what is it about what's happening now, seeing the beauty in the shadow for yourself? What are you, what are you grateful for and, and learning? watching the change, watching young people get celebrated. What bothers me is the loss of the intergenerational connectivity. Mm -hmm. I remember how connected I felt to my grandfather, my father, you know, my mother, my uncles, right? The cousins, the aunts, the learning that transfers through those processes. I learned from my contemporaries. I'm learning from young 30-something adults, right? They teach me all the time. They challenge the way I see it. I challenge them back, right? It's like, I want to be fresh in my thinking. I'm learning the most from Sarah and Alex's little baby who's 21 months old. He teaches me more about life right now than any of my pals in academia, you know what I mean, or anybody up in D.C. that I've ever had a conversation with. Is that changing in Hawaii right now? Is the, the intergenerational connectivity in this, is that like getting more diminished or is that? No, I think it's the opposite. It's getting stronger. Okay. Of course, we've been wrestling with our protest issue with Mauna Kea and the TMT, the 30 meter telescope. So our awakening happened before COVID. Right. Right. We were already banding together against the machine, against the racism, against the. So, you know, when people come and go, this is a Black Lives Matter moment. We're like, is it with this? Human beings been fighting this for 600 years. What are you talking about, right? In fact, if I look deeply, 2,200 years, right? The Roman Empire, it's like, how long we've been playing this game, right? Who's a slave? Who's not a slave? Last time I saw the Nubians, they were dragon slaves. Right. Right, so it's like, what's up? Badly behaved America? Hey, you don't have to tell a Hawaiian about that. Right. We watch the Americans come over here fat, bloated, and treat our home that they stole like it's adult Disneyland. Like, I'm a good American. I worked for three years. I deserve this vacation taking a shit in your living room, right? One million residents, most of them American, living in the islands. 10 million tourists. 10 million. Name me another city that's got that kind of ratio. 10 to 1 tourists. Where do those people defecate? Where do they urinate? That's 10 times the crap, 10 times the urine, than we should have to deal with in our environment but they come every two weeks, party down. You know what I mean? Hollywood, woo! Only if you have a coconut bra. Right, 
not paradise, yeah. my family's home. Right. That you guys walk all over, shit all over, pee all over, eat all over. Right? And here's the thing. Never a hello. Never a how do you do. It's like having 200 people a day come to your house, walk in the front door, go through the living room, go use your bathroom, and then walk out the kitchen door and not even say hi to you. And then they got the nerve to go, well, where's your Aloha spirit, man? Really? Really? Aloha spirit? Hey, you know what ha'ole means? It means without the breath of life. Somebody who's not connected to the breath of life or the relationships. And that's what we call them, ha'ole. Right? And they think, oh, that means white person. Oh, for God's sake, you're such a narcissistic, egomaniacal society. You actually think the word without breath, not part of the group, means white people. Oh, for God's sake, get over yourself. Okay, it's like 1684 is the first time they create the term white person, white people. And it's created in the new colonies in the new world of America. Because back in Europe, there ain't no such thing as white people. They're either Italian or German or Czech or da 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 blah, blah, blah. So where does the racism begin? Who is responsible for this dichotomy? Why do we present things bifurcatedly? I'll tell you why. Because of that first family that we're born to and that second family that we choose. And we can see the difference. We can see the difference between what we got and what we want, right? And that drives us towards this consumerism. Well, I'm going to burst the bubble here. There's a family you're never without. There's a family you were never without. The grandfather's son, the grandmother moon, the sky father, the earth mother, the woman that is the sea, all of the life around you. Every plant, every relationship, every animal. This is your family. You're part of this chemical cocktail inside the water bubble. You should be trying to protect your family. We should not be monetizing our family, commoditizing our family, extracting from our family. We should be deeply in relationship. We should be deeply compassionate. We should be deeply understanding, not just of each other human being, but of all of life in the planet. Am I asking a lot? Hell yeah. What the hell else are you doing during the COVID? Self-inspect, be transformative. Really, for the sake of your grandchildren, know what time it is. It's time for change. It's always time for change. Oh, except for that clock. That clock right there, always set at 420. I think that's a perfect place to give people room to think and breathe. What we all need right now is to self-inspect. I think that's true. I think what we want is for this to just be over, but that is selfish and unrealistic and doesn't really look at the right action or the right intention. If you look look at the COVID story, if you look at the COVID pandemic story, it boils down to this. Self-care, take care of yourself. Isolate, take care of yourself. 
the other story, the other story. Hey, man, put yourself on the back burner. We're all in trouble. People are dying and being killed out here. Come out here and join us. You know what? The same time, too. This right. is fascinating. Right. No, it's, it's, it's presented. The right. light and the shadow. The right. moon is always half in shadow. Now, you got to determine which one is the light. Right. Which one is the shadow? Right, and here's the thing. It's, it's come out and commune. I, I got some really good news. I got some really bad news. What do you want first? Bad news. Okay, we're all going to die. Nobody gets out of here alive. All right. Okay, good news. We're all going to die. Nobody gets out of <laughs> here alive. Right, so since we're all in this together and we're all going to die and none of us get out of here alive, shouldn't we be worried about how our children experience being here? Shouldn't we always work to make that experience better? Should we not risk our life to make this a better world? Is that not the best way to spend your life, right? Pretty simple, right? It's not That's just pretty radical, right? Imagine. (laughs) Imagine, right, that you would spend your life in service of the other. Wow, that almost sounds like what, and I hate to get religious, what Jesus might have recommended. Or Ben and Jerry's ice cream. But Buddha, (laughs) yes, yes, we're at the very least, right? Dinosaur. Right, and Irv Griffin might have said, help somebody someplace, right? Endless, endless hero, endless villain, endless the human story. Let us pray, endless. I am afraid we might be coming up on an end. And so I'm sticking around to make sure that doesn't happen. If I got to go sneak away to some tiny little corner like Hawaii on the planet just to raise whatever children are surviving, that's what I'm going to do. My beautiful guest with me has been Kalani Souza, community agitator, philosopher, educator, storyteller, family, and somebody I deeply love. I love you. Thanks so much for listening to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. I've had a fantastic time. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, share it with someone you think is in need. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. For questions or comments, reach me at janalopez.com. And when you're having a moment of identity doubt, just remember that seeing is relieving. 